0: Hear this story from the Gospel of Luke about the accessibility and the vulnerability of the very body of Christ. This is from the seventh chapter of Luke, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man is a prophet... He would have known who and what kind of woman this is, who is touching him, and that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, "'I suppose the one whom he canceled the greater debt.' And Jesus said, "'You have judged rightly.' Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, "'Do you see this woman?' "'I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet.' You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For many years, my routine, my work routine here at this church involved entering and exiting the building by the office of the director of the weekday school. It's just right over here on this side of the building. The office has really big picture windows, which makes it impossible for a nosy person like me to miss exactly who's sitting in that office with the weekday school director. Sometimes a student, a child sits in what was Miss Jane's office. Now it's Miss Sarah's office. And my first thought as I walk by is, "Uh uh-oh, wonder what happened. What did they do? Closely followed by, whose kid is that anyways? (laughs) Maybe it's because my own children and my nieces and nephews had the opportunity to sit with Miss Jane in her office for biting, for throwing sand, for pushing down, for kicking, for rolling around on the floor during nap time, Lucky for me, Miss Jane did not keep a detailed list of our wrongdoings. And my third child, the baby of the family, well, he used to really enjoy being in that office. He thought that the best toys were kept there. And I'd have a hard time getting him to leave when I would come to pick him up. The very thought that he was in trouble when he sat with Miss Jane simply escaped him. I find it really difficult to read this story in Luke's gospel and not wonder who is this unnamed woman? And what exactly is it that she did? What did she do wrong? Now, you may have heard this woman named as Mary Magdalene. You may have even seen it or heard it in a movie or two. It's not in scripture. It is in our tradition, but the naming of this woman in Luke's gospel as Mary Magdalene didn't occur until the year 591, when Pope Gregory I, who is also known as Gregory the Great, preached it in a sermon. Scripture does not name her. The text says she was a sinner. And Simon the Pharisee says she is a sinner. And Jesus says her sins which were many. But the truth of the matter is her sins are not specified. No specific sin is mentioned. And I also think it's important to notice that this story is unique to Luke's gospel. Now, not every preacher would agree with me. Many who reflect on this story, combine it with the anointing stories that are found in the other three gospels where a woman, John calls her Mary of Bethany, anoints Jesus shortly before the crucifixion and the disciples grumble about the cost of the ointment. In Luke's gospel, there's no complaining about the cost of the ointment. In Luke's gospel, only in Luke's gospel, we have tears. There's a show of emotion from the woman and only in Luke's gospel there is talk of forgiveness of sins and the placement in the gospel is very significant it's in chapter 7 which is right before Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem and he and the disciples walk the path of faith the path of faith to the cross in many bibles this story falls under a heading. The heading in many Bibles sounds something like Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman, or a sinful woman is forgiven. I even, in one of the commentaries that I read for this week, came across this title Responses of a Pharisee and a Harlot. <laughs> And the commentary was only 20 years old. It was a new-ish commentary. I want to show you something that I find fascinating. This story happens just two chapters earlier in Luke's gospel. When Jesus calls his first disciples in chapter 5, the Bible tells us that he is teaching at the water's edge and he steps Jesus steps into a boat that belongs to Simon Peter and he tells Simon to go to the deep water and to let down nets to catch for a catch and Simon says well we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing we haven't caught one fish but Simon, Peter, and the other fishermen, they do as Jesus instructs, and they catch such a large number of fish that the Bible says the nets begin to break. And then the two boats who are carrying the nets of fish began to sink because the haul of fish is so big. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to hear. It's chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I am a sinful man. This has slipped my mind about Peter. When we tell stories of Simon Peter, do we refer to him as a sinful man? He calls himself that. When scholars organize the Bible or Bible commentaries into headings, have you ever seen the title Jesus Calls Sinful Disciples? I've never seen that. But I wonder if we wouldn't be better served by the reminder. Gary Anderson wrote a book that is titled A History of Sin. He wrote the book in 2009, and it was named the best book of the year in biblical studies by Christianity Today, A History of Sin. Anderson is a theologian at Notre Dame. This book is about how our ideas of sin and forgiveness are at the heart of our faith, and they are also at the heart of the biblical tradition. Most importantly, I think our ideas about sin, how we conceptualize it, how we understand it, have changed over time, especially in the last 2,000 years. Sin was, at one time, primarily conceived to be a physical burden, a weight And this is an important metaphor in the Old Testament. It's an important metaphor for sin in the Hebrew Bible. Like when Cain cries out to God in the fourth chapter of Genesis, my sin is too great to bear. Or in the Psalms, Psalm 38 says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden that is too heavy to bear. But Anderson claims that this notion of sin has been eclipsed in recent times by economic metaphors. Sin has become more commonly understood to be about a debt, a debt that is owed, a debt that Jesus repays. Reclaiming this idea of sin as a burden is helpful. I think it's helpful when we're reading these stories of Jesus to understand what his followers and his disciples are up against. Sin bears down on people. Sin weighs on us. And a really fine way to understand forgiveness is to say that forgiveness is about having the weight lifted, having the burden lifted away from us. Hear these words from Exodus chapter 34. "The the, The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and carrying Carrying iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That's in Exodus 34. It is true. It is true that God relieves us of the things that burden us. God relieves us of broken relationships. It's still true today. You know, I I may have had my ears specifically open for these stories this week, but I came across two. Two stories just this week of spiritual relief. One of recognizing this truth during a time of meditation told by a musician, a musician who's a a banjo player and a singer, bluegrass musician, Abigail Washburn. Abigail Washburn said that she sat still on a meditation retreat for five days many years ago, right before she was planning to leave for China to become a lawyer in China. And she says that those five days of meditation are one of the hardest things that she's ever done. Her body ached on day three of this particular retreat. She went into what she called the darkest place, a very deep place. And when she came out hours later, she said her entire shirt was covered with tears and snot. And no one was left in the room. She was the only one there. Everyone was gone. And she said, I know I let go of something major. I didn't feel like a victim anymore. I was clean. I was fresh and clear, and I could make good decisions. The burden lifted. The other story I heard was from another musician, singer and songwriter Brandy Carlisle, who has a new album released this week, and she wrote a memoir this year. A piece of her faith life story is that she left the church as a teen. She experienced rejection from her church, but... This six time Grammy winner wrote in her memoir, Music is still my proof that God is real. Music is my proof that God is real. And when she was asked about that quote in her book, she said, How else would music be here without God? Music, Carlyle claims, was her experience of salvation. Music continues to be, she says, her experience of salvation where the burden is lifted. People still have these experiences, these experiences of God that relieve the heavy weight of broken relationship. People just like you and me still have these revelations every week, every day. Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, the host of the dinner, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I think I have in the past understood this question of Jesus to be to Simon the Pharisee. Do you have compassion for her? Do you see her? Do you have pity for this woman, a sinner, But I want you to know this is not a call to pity. A call to pity only misses the power of the story. Jesus is holding her up as an example, He is holding her up as an ideal. He says to Simon the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? See what is possible. See what God can do. You also can be relieved of your burdens. Relief looks like this relief looks like gratitude, relief looks like hospitality. This woman who was a sinner serves the role of gracious hostess at this dinner party. I think because she now has the spiritual space to do so. There is water. For the feet, her tears, a kiss of welcome, anointing for one who is on a journey will go on a very important journey soon. All things that Simon the Pharisee missed. And Jesus says to the Pharisee, what you are seeing here is great love. Great love is a response of relief To the work of grace. Great love. Now, I want to tell you, I don't want to leave here without telling you what my spiritual director says about this particular Bible story, but I should whisper it because it's kind of scandalous. She's a spiritual director, so she can get away with saying things (laughs) that rattle a preacher. My spiritual director said, I think Jesus is suggesting here that sin is actually worth it. Sin is actually worth it if it creates more love. Can you imagine? (laughs) Embracing the experience of sin... Embracing whatever it was in your past that separated you from God or for others, and releasing all about it that burdens you to the one who is capable of lifting, the only one who is strong enough to bear it, and then seeing only great love. It's possible. I know it's possible when Christ is at our table. This morning we celebrate world communion. Would you hear these words of invitation to communion? Jesus was always the guest. In the homes of Simon the Pharisee, Martha and Mary, Joanna and Susanna, Jesus was always the guest. At the meal tables of the wealthy where he pled the case of the poor, he was always the guest. Upsetting polite company, befriending isolated people, welcoming the stranger, Jesus was always the guest. But here, here at this table, Jesus is the host. Those who wish to serve him must first be served by him. Those who want to follow him must first be fed by him. Those who would wash his feet must let him make theirs clean. For this is the table where God intends us to be nourished. This is the time when Christ comes to make us new. So come, you who hunger and thirst for a deeper faith, for a fuller life, for a better world. Jesus Christ who has sat at our tables, now invites us to be his guest. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we praise you. For you are the one from whom we will return. You conceived the universe, wove the world together, and hold all life in your hand. You watch us waking or sleeping. You keep every tear that we shed. You hear every prayer we make. You know both our best and our worst, and you will not let us go. So with rain, wind, and sunshine, with all that moves in time with its maker, we praise you We praise you for Christ's life, which informs our living, for his compassion, which changes our hearts, for his clear speaking, for his disturbing presence, his innocent suffering, his courageous dying, his rising to life, breathing forgiveness. We praise you and we worship him. Merciful God, send now in kindness your Holy Spirit to rest on converting us from the patterns of this passing world until we conform to the shape of the one whose food we now share. Amen. Among friends gathered round a table, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It is given for you. Later he took the cup and he said, "This is relationship with God made possible because of my death. Do this in remembrance of me." Christ whom the universe could not contain is present to us in the breaking of the spread Christ, who redeems us and calls us by name, now meets us in the sharing of the cup. So take the bread and the cup. In this meal, God comes to us so that we may come to God. This is the body of Christ. It is given for you. This is the blood of Christ. It is shed for you.